Soundstripe. Like what we just did up here was not necessarily the definition of worship, okay? The instruments, the music, the songs that we sang, um, the, the things that we did, those were, those were vehicles in which we used to worship God. Does that make sense? So oftentimes we get confused. I'm not going to cry, so if anyone needs these... Um, Oftentimes we get confused about worship. We, we entitle our, our Sunday morning service the worship service, right? And, so, and then the worship team comes up and they play worship music. And so everyone thinks worship is singing. Or worship is playing an instrument. Or worship is listening to music. Um, you know, throughout most of my Christian life, I've heard people say things like, I'm going to worship the Lord, and 99.9% and of the time, that comes with hitting play. 99.9% of the time, that comes with, with getting some music beginning to, to go, and, and that's great. Music is a great vehicle to usher us into worshiping God, the presence of God. But what happens is, and what we have done, just like we've done with everything else in Christianity, is we've created a formula that if we sing a song, if Morgan builds at just the right moment, if we jump that octave at just the right place, if the whole hand band breaks at just the right moment, so it's like, oh, click, this is amazing, God's going to move. But if anybody misses the break, they're stifling the Holy Spirit. True story. Grew up in church. Grew up with lots of worship leaders leading worship. Now, there, there's some truth to that statement in the sense of if, if we, we, obviously, as you all have witnessed week after week and year after year, we do not strive for perfection on our worship team, but we do strive for excellence. We strive to do the best that we possibly can. Uh, why? Because first of all, for, for, for this team of musicians, we, we do view it as an honor to be able to, to, to usher people into the presence of God using this particular vehicle. And, and we do try to hit those breaks right on time. And we do try to hit those notes and those, those key changes and those chord changes right on time because if we don't, it can create a distraction which then does not stifle the Spirit but might shift your focus away from the Lord. Does that make sense? So uh, the reason that we, don't, we try not to just wing it is, is not because we're trying to put on a performance, but we're trying to lessen distraction. And, and the reason that I, I share that is because we, we need to have that mindset, whether we're in a service or in our private prayer time, minimizing distraction when we try to enter into a heart of worship with the Father is key. Turn off Turn off the TV. Turn off the children if you can find the switch. I've been trying. 
And so far, uh, not, not super good luck. Turn off the distractions. Turn off your brain for just, just a few minutes. Stop worrying about what's for dinner and what you're going to cook. Stop making your grocery list. Stop worrying about what you need to do at work tomorrow or today or tonight or whatever. Stop it. Stop worrying about what's going on in your family. Stop worrying about what's going on with your children, with your spouse, with your friends, with your neighbors, with whatever. We're in tax season. My first tax season as a business owner. My whole floor is covered in receipts right now because I'm trying to, trying to figure out how I can minimize the amount of taxes that I have to pay in while still giving unto Caesar what is Caesar's and giving unto God what is God's. And, and, and with that, my mind can become very consumed with, right now, taxes. But for a minute, set it aside. Set aside the women's conference. And how excited you are about that. Set that aside. Set aside the need that you have in your finances. Because worshiping God should be separate from our petitions or our requests for God to meet a need. Remember that we talked about two weeks ago that the wise men who came and bestowed gifts upon Jesus did so because they saw a star in the sky and they traveled to where that star was over in Bethlehem. And they bestowed gifts upon, not an infant, by the way, as we talked about two weeks ago, because that was about a two to three year journey those men took. And so he was actually a toddler by the time they got there. And, and it says that they went inside the house because he had graduated from the manger to the house. And so they went inside the house and they bestowed gifts upon a, 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 a toddler that could do nothing for them. They gave gifts to, some, to a being without any request attached to the gift because that, that baby could do nothing for them in that moment. Nothing. They simply came to honor the king of the Jews. When we present ourselves to God in a heart of worship, that pre presentation that we have in that heart of worship should not come with any strings attached. We tend to worship God so that we can receive our breakthrough. We tend to worship God so that we can get our needs met. We tend to worship God so we can feel all warm and fuzzy. But in fact, our worship should not have a string attached to it because His sacrifice did not have a string attached to it. But too often... We use worship as a form of manipulation. We think we can manipulate God into meeting our needs. Because if we begin to sing and then the presence of God moves, we know that our needs are going to be met. Biblical, that's truth. That's truth. That's truth. But when we worship so that we can experience the presence of God, so that our needs can be met. Our motivation is self-centered in nature. It should not be a so that, but an and also. We live too much 
in a so that world. I'll do this so that you'll do this. I will do this so that he will answer my prayer. No, no, he's a good father. So we now set that aside and we worship him as though he is that toddler that can do nothing for us, even though he is the king and the creator of the universe that can do all for us. We worship him as though he can do nothing. And if, if we can worship him the same way, that way as we do need something, our hearts are becoming in tune with who he is. So one of the first things we have to do in this idea of worship is, is we have to have right thinking, right? So we have to enter into a place of worship in right thinking. Now, please don't misinterpret. I'm not saying never ask God for your needs to be met. What I'm saying is that needs to be a separate time with the Lord. Very distinct, for your brain's purposes, not for his, it has to be a very distinctly separate time. This is my time to worship with the Lord. This is my time to petition the Lord for my needs. Does that make sense? I worship whether or not I'm going to petition, but I will only petition if I first entered into worship. Because my heart has to be that I would know you more that I would see your face, that I would experience more because of anything except that our job is to further the kingdom. Our job is to power where there used to be just words. And how do we do that? How did the disciples do that? Not by asking for things. I don't see a lot of times in the Bible when the disciples made requests. They just spent time with Jesus. They ask him questions. When they would pray for a boy and the boy didn't become free from the, from the, the demon that was in him, uh, they went back to Jesus and said, why didn't that work? It wasn't, oh, Father, I love you. Not sure why that didn't work, but that made me look really stupid, and I don't want to look stupid, so next time, could you show up? No, they were just like, what, what, did we, what was wrong there? How do I become more like you? What was their motivation? It had nothing to do with them. The freedom of a boy. We have made a selfless faith a selfish religion. And it's time to begin to shift that thinking back to it is not about you. It's not about me. It's about him. This has always been about him. If we're going to have right thinking, then we have to think, what is authentic worship? John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24 says this. It says, The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and the truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Now, what I want you to notice is that worshiping in spirit is not compared to worshiping in body or with the body. Instead, it's put along with worshiping in truth. And we talked about this two weeks ago, but I think it's key that we get this, is that it doesn't 
I'm going to worship him in spirit and in bodily manifestation. It doesn't say I'm going to worship him in spirit and in, in music. It doesn't say I'm going to worship him in spirit and in servanthood. It says I'm going to worship him in spirit and in truth. So what do we mean? We mean that spirit worshipers worshiping from the spirit and truth are driven by truth. I think the point is, is when we worship, right worship depends on a right mental grasp of the way God really is. It's hard to worship a God that we think is just sitting up there waiting to get you. Trying to find something you do wrong to send you to hell. I remember growing up, and I know I've told this story a thousand times, but I, I remember when I was a young teenager, it was kind of a, the tail end of the fire and brimstone era of, of Christianity. Uh, and um, I remember, and th- there's, some good, there's some good in that fire and brimstone teaching. We need to have a healthy fear of, fear of, of hell, because it's real. But I remember I would go to bed every night and, and I would lay in bed and, and I would search for any sin that I might have committed throughout the day to confess, not because I wanted relationship, but I was terrified that if my heart stopped while I was sleeping, I was going to go to hell. <laughs> I remember thinking... Like, I remember, I was like 15, so listen, hormones are flying. I remember, like, this, this girl walking past me, and I was like, holy Lord in heaven. God has created the most beautiful being. And then I was like, oh, no, I can't think this way, because if I think this way and get hit by a bus, I'm going to go to hell. It's a true story. It's a true story. Because we, we lived in such a, a hell-conscious religion that everything became fear-based. And so when I would worship God, it wasn't out of a place of how good my father was. It was out of a place of how bad hell was. And I still think we have that mindset. Why? Because we don't want to go to hell. Why? Because hell seems uncomfortable. Why? Because it's about me. We're back to a selfish religion. I just don't want to be uncomfortable. I mean, I don't want to go to hell. I don't want you guys to go to hell. All those things. But uh, uh, Chris Vallotton from, from Bethel one time, I, I heard him say this, and, and I, it really re- resonated with me. And that was, in my marriage, my marriage to my wife is supposed to be a representation of my relationship with Jesus. Right? And we know this because he says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loves the church. Right? We know that is the bridegroom, we are the bride. Marriage is, is a key part of our religion or our faith. And, uh, and, and people had, would go up to Chris and ask him, they would say, you know, hey, if I do this, am I going to go to hell? Am I do, if I do this, is this going to be something that's going to send me to hell? Am I allowed to do this? Really, that's what we're doing, right? We're trying to figure out the rules or really where the line is, right? So that way we can dance on the line but not cross it because uh, we're, we're big fans of riding the fence. And Chris looked at this individual and said this. He said, with my wife, I never think how far can I push her before she divorces me? 
I never think, can I get away, for, get, can I get away with this? Can I do this and will she stay? Can I do this and will she stay? Is this allowed or will she leave me? I've, he said, I've never thought about that. I spend my whole relationship with my wife figuring out how we can fall deeper in love, how we can have a deeper connection, how we can become more intimate with one another. And that is how our relationship with Jesus is supposed to be. Our focus should not be on what's going to drive him away, but our focus should be on what's going to bring him close. If we worship this God that is waiting in heaven to hit you with a hammer, that's waiting to send you a hell, you have created a God that does not match the God of the Bible. Therefore, you are worshiping an idol of your own creation. Because that is not who we worship. The, the word worship comes from an old English word that means or contains the idea of honor and worth. So when we worship God, we're actually honoring him. We're recognizing his value and nothing else. Nothing else. Like the angels in heaven in Revelations 4.11, they say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have being. Leave that up there for a second. So it says, you are worthy, O Lord, uh, our God. Or and, uh, That's weird. Um, Lord and God, our God. means the same thing. I just like my translation better. Uh, and by that, I mean I translated it myself, evidently. So... In that first line, you are worthy, our Lord and God. Where is the petition? Where is the request? Okay. So to receive glory and honor and power, where is the petition or request? For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Where is the request? If the angels can give us this clear of a picture of what true worship is supposed to look like, why is it so confusing? The Old and the New Testament, trans, Testament translate a number of words as, as worship. The Hebrew term used most often means to bow down or to do homage. Genesis 18.2. I don't remember if I gave that one to you. I don't think I did. So flip to Genesis 18.2 real quick. He's going to do it. We're going to all do it. It's good for you guys to learn where the books of the Bible are. Genesis 18.2. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed down to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash, wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. So this idea to bow down, to, pay, to do homage, that is one of the words that we have translated as worship. To bow down, to pay homage. Okay? The most prominent Greek word for worship conveys the idea of showing reverence or bowing down to God. John 4, 21 through 24. I'm going to bounce back over. We were there before, uh, but we're going to bounce back over to John. So, woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming and 
when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. So right here, what we see is this idea of showing reverence. When it, right here it says, uh, when the true worshipers, the ones who, who show reverence, pay homage to God because we know who He is. Samaritans worship those that He who they don't know. But we worship those He who we do know. What does that mean? We're bowing down. We're paying homage. This is important to understand, uh, to show reference to serve or to minister is another, another term in the Greek. It's used both in Matthew 4.10 where Jesus says, worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. That is, that is to serve or to minister. I want you to hear all of these actual definitions of this word and none of them are to get your needs met. Interestingly enough though, Jesus said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. So Jesus actually came to model this idea that we worship through servanthood. We worship through giving God honor. Right? A.W. Tozer said, Worship is the missing jewel of the church. I believe that one of the problems in our church is that people do not have a biblical understanding of worship. He said, uh, he said We have become a generation of people who worship our work, work at our play, and play at our worship. When our worship grows stale, so does our passion for God. Worship is the furnace of the spiritual life. I'm going to read that quote to you again. We have become a generation of people who worship our work, work at our play, and play at our worship. Too many of us have become come to church because it's Sunday rather than on coming on Sunday to worship. Too many of us have decided, oh, today is Sunday. It's time to come. As opposed to, oh, it's time to worship. Oh, hey, it's Sunday. I can do it with my friends today. Because every day should be a, a day in which we worship. You don't need a band. You don't need a sermon. You don't need somebody dancing. You don't need lights. You don't need any of that. You just need a heart surrendered. That my focus is on Him and not on my circumstance, not on my situation, not on the things that are going wrong. I'm not even on the things that are going right. Right now, I'm worshiping God for who He is. I'm just worshiping. I, when, when I get in the right attitude of worship, which uh, is not always... Wasn't this morning. Before service, we, we worked it out in prayer in there before we came out. But it was a rough morning. And, and sometimes our focus then becomes something very different. Right? Our focus becomes, let's just get through it. Let's just toughen up. Not just music, but just in general. Sometimes when, when I set aside, let's say you set aside 7 to, well, let's not get overboard, 7 to 7.02 every morning that you guys can enter into true worship. And something goes wrong. And it's 7.03 and you haven't started. Either skip it, or our other attitude that we, we like to have is, 
Okay, let's just get through it real quick. Uh, Father, thank you for, for who you are. You're so amazing. I worship you, Father. Worthy of glory and honor and praise. Uh, holy, holy, holy. Amen. <laughs> because I'm late now. Because I'm late. I'm supposed to start at 7. Start at 7.04. I'm late. Or uh, uh, one of the ways we can worship, and we're going to get into this more in future weeks, but one of the ways we can worship is, is through our time in the Word. And specifically, so we were at a pastor's, at David, because he was there too, not because he's yawning. Uh, uh, we were at a, a pastor's thing this weekend and uh, for pastors and their, their spouses. Um, it's an annual thing that's put on down in Lewiston. And um, one of the things he said was, Mark Rooster said, was that we spend time with the Lord in the Word. And that really, that really kind of resonated with me because I'm, I'm decently good at spending time in the Word, and I'm relatively good at spending time with the Lord, but I'm not great at spending time with the Lord in the Word. Does that make sense? He, he told a story of a guy who uh, had memorized the entire book of, of Psalms. And the guy was like, or he was like, I can't believe you could do that. Just anyway. And he's like, which one? Do you want to start at the beginning? We can go through the whole thing. And uh, he was like, that's so amazing. And the guy was an agnostic. It doesn't take anything to be in the Word. But to be with the Lord in the Word is where worship begins to come. For far too many of us, we come to church far too often to get blessed instead of to bless. And I know you guys, everyone has heard me say this a thousand times, but uh, I don't care. Uh, if, if each of you came for somebody else, everyone in the room would get blessed. But because most of us come for ourselves, everyone leaves feeling disconnected. Because we're not just waiting on the Lord we're also waiting on the people. I, uh, sorry for anyone this offends. Justice, get me a chair. He stood up, so it was like he knew I needed something. Yeah, that's a chair. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's good. Good job. Yay. Next week, we're going to work on shapes and colors, so that's exciting. <laughs> Thank you, son. So, you're amazing, Justice. Can we embarrass him some more real quick? Thank you. to send somebody up and pray for me and nothing. I've been sitting there all service waiting for someone to connect with me. And you know what God's saying? Get up and go talk to someone. Get up. The Bible says if you're lonely, go to someone. 
If you feel disconnected, it's likely because you're thinking too much about yourself. You also are likely thinking too highly of yourself. You did not come to be served, but to serve. We've misinterpreted the phrase, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength to become the laziest generation of Christians in history. We don't wait upon the Lord to receive our mission. We've already been given that. We wait on the Lord when we have been drained so much that we need to renew that strength. That was amen in dog. (laughs) I'm looking at my wife because she is texting me inside jokes and I'm trying not to laugh. So, um, (laughs) darn you. Um, there was an amazing joke that was told at our thing. So one of the, one of the stupid games that we had to play, and they were stupid, I hate the games, um, was we had, we had this envelope full of jokes, and everyone had to take jokes and read them, and you only got a point if you didn't laugh at the joke or laugh when you told the joke. So straight face at the table, no response, then you get a point. If, you, if anybody laughs, those people don't get a point. And uh, it was really hard. So if you, some of you know these people. So at our table, it was Charity and I who are hilarious. <laughs> Jeff and Jacqueline Chavez, who are pretty funny. And then Mike and Deb Richardson, who, and they will say this themselves, Mike is much funnier in that type of setting than Deb. Not saying Deb's not funny, but just... It was hard. It was a hard exercise. And then Jeff would tell those with such ease of dad joke tellability because he would say it and then he would stare at me. (laughs) And and then I'm just... (laughs) There was one that says, the the scripture that says to John that says something along the lines of, Come forth and receive everlasting life. And John was upset because he came in fifth and only got a toaster. I'll say it again because most that was my aunt's pretend like, oh, I'm laughing because I don't want you to feel weird about that not being a funny joke, but I don't really understand what you're saying. Jesus told John to come forth and receive everlasting life. Come forth and receive everlasting life. But John was upset because he came in fifth, not fourth. And he only got a toaster. That was not, this is not the game. There's no gift card at the end of this. I'm just trying to transition out of that text from charity. Uh, so back into the heart of worship. Uh, no, I appreciate it, actually. Because I appreciate it. Because I've been married 19 years. And if I said I was annoyed, that would be a very different conversation as soon as the service was over. So... Um, 
But here's the point of this, okay? Now that I have, you guys are all like, oh my gosh, he's totally derailed. It's been a minute and a half, okay? A minute and a half, people. Um, I have a giant clock. I'm keeping track. Here's the point. The point is, is that God is saying, get up and move. Get up and talk. Get up and, 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 and bless somebody else. Pray for someone else. What I would love us to ever someday become and not out of like, oh, Michael wants us to do it, so let's start doing that. Please don't do that because it's not a formula. But I would love to become the body of, of believers that while we're doing musical worship up here, you guys are out there praying for one another. You guys are out there loving on one another. You guys are out there showing the love of Jesus to one another, looking for opportunities. God, who can I connect with this morning? Who can I talk to this morning? Who can I give a hug to, a smile to, a prayer, a $20 bill? Who can I connect with this morning? And if you find yourself waiting in your seat for someone to connect with you, shift your focus because it's become selfish and you're not worshiping God. You guys okay? I'm almost done for today. Jesus said in Matthew 15, 8, said these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. This is what we're talking about, folks. Is when we create a worship that is self-serving, we're simply acknowledging him with our lips. And I will tell you that as, as a believer, I know that the reason that the church in America, we learned yesterday, the church in America, the median size, which means there's 50% smaller, 50% larger, the median size of the church in America is 65 people. <laughs> that was an elk saying hallelujah. Uh, 65 people, guys. That's not, that's not an impressive number, in case you're wondering. In, in regards to bodies in pews, that's not an impressive number. Because I did the math one time in Orfino, and based on just estimated uh, uh, congregation sizes, less than 10% of our Orfino population attends church. Less than 10% of our population. For, for people who are 60 and older, have seen a steady decline over the last however many years. And I believe that this scripture in Matthew 15 8 is the reason why, because these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. Why were people so drawn to Jesus and drawn to his disciples? Why was that the case? Because there was power in what they did, there was truth in what they said, and there was love in how they interacted. Worship is not music. Churches may have a worship leader and a praise team. We can sing hymns, we can sing praise songs, we can sing choruses. The music does not guarantee our worship. 
As we have, have, we've identified a million times, you guys can start making your way back up here after I say that this isn't worship. Come up. Uh, we, over the years, have seen this over and over and over and over, that worship, if the songs aren't something I like, I can't worship today. Or even worse, if it's in a key that I can't sing in. Now, some of you can't sing in any key, so I'm not sure what you're supposed to do with that. But it's a key that I can't sing in. I can't worship today. It's, it's this idea that... Sorry, town people, but that was bothering me. Um, when I throw things, someone's supposed to come get them. Um, we oftentimes will utilize this as... It's right here on the... On, on, we oftentimes will utilize this as an excuse as to whether or not I'm going to enter in. If I don't feel it, evidently they were off this morning. That's not the truth. I shared with somebody this week and, uh, that we have two options in a setting like this. We can be the thermometer or we can be the thermostat in the room. A thermometer simply measures the temperature of the room and then it actually matches the temperature of the room. It come, if, if the thermometer is at 90 degrees when we bring it in the room and it's 70 degrees in the room, it'll measure 70 degrees and the temperature will be 70 degrees. That's how it's measuring it. The temperature of, of what's in it is feeling 70 degrees. A thermostat, on the other hand, has the ability to measure, but if we're not comfortable with that number, we simply turn it up. And then the heat in the room rises to match the thermostat. We as Christians have the ability to either be a thermometer or a thermostat in every room you walk in. You walk in and you either match the temperature of the room or you set the temperature of the room. It depends, I guess, on how much we believe that he who is within me is greater than he who is in the world. Do we actually believe that God will simply because we're a thermostat. How do we become a thermostat that's functionable? In, in electrician world, it has to be wired in, right? Typically, a thermostat needs to be wired into the heating system. Worship is how we wire ourselves in to the, to the system that is God. Worshiping Him for who He is. Being in the Word is vitally important. Prayer, obviously, is vitally important. All of, the, all of the aspects of Christianity is vitally important. But let me tell you something for those of you who think that the Word is, is, is above and beyond. Somebody could walk in the door today and become a Christian and not know one Scripture and be able to talk about how good He is. That is the, the setting of the thermostat in a room because we know as old Christians that when a new Christian comes in and is all excited and jacked up about, about Christianity, we all get excited too for a minute and then we get tired. So they can set a temperature. But have you ever walked into a room and someone's being a whiny little baby? And then we're just like... Ah, she just took the wind out of my sails. God's not going to move this morning, Monty. <laughs> That's evident. Right? We, we, we have this idea that, oh my gosh, Monty is supposed to be the 
So if Monty's a thermometer today, we're all in trouble. <laughs> Except you're all thermostats. You all have the ability to set the temperature of the room. You all have the ability to set the intimacy of the room. You all have the ability to worship the same God. Not in, not, no one has to get up here and dance. No one has to get up here and jump around and scream and shout and make a scene. No one needs to do that, but you can. As long as you're not a, a being a major distraction, you can do that. Nobody has to manifest through shaking, twitching, jerking, rolling around on the floor, whatever, slain in the spirit, speaking in tongues. That doesn't have to happen. There's no expectation on you of what your worship will look like. But let me show you a couple of things your worship doesn't look like. Turn your phone off. Let me tell you another thing that your worship doesn't look like. Just a second. Joey. That <laughs> doesn't look like Joey. <laughs> Music's playing. People are entering in. Hey, after service, do you want to run? Do you want to go to the Mexican restaurant? Okay. Uh, and then also, uh, don't let me forget the time. Right? This is not worship in this moment. He's a big fan of food, so I'm teasing him. We're not going, by the way. Uh, and it sure does. So, do, so does Mexican food sometimes. Um, but here's the deal. That's not worship. Come back. Let me show you something that is worship. Hey, I just wanted you to know that I love you and that Jesus loves you. I wanted you to know that he has such a huge plan for your life. I want you to know how valued you are to my father. I want you to know how wonderful he thinks you are. I want you to know that he will never leave you nor forsake you. I want you to know that he has given you not a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. I want you to know those things today. That is worship, guys. That is what worship looks like. That is what worshiping the king looks like. Was there anything in that that was self-serving? Was there anything in that that was not truth? Was there anything in that that was not declaring who the Father is to someone who may not know today? That is worship. So as we enter into these songs, these next few songs, what I would challenge you to do is cut the distraction. Cut the distraction. It's 12.31 and 14 seconds. You'll be all right for a few more minutes. Cut the distraction and just focus on how good he is. Thanks for joining us today on our journey to become more like Jesus and that our hearts would be turned towards him in an attitude of worship. Be blessed this week.